How are you, Rob? How you doing? I'm all right. I'm good. I'm ready for a bit of ya ya ding dong and a bit of uh, <laughs> bit of desert island discs. On <laughs> <laughs> uh, talking of ya ya ding dong and desert island discs, I spotted today in Daily Mail online the uh, the website of choice to get all of your news. <laughs> well, actually, I sent it in a WhatsApp message actually because Sasha Baron Cohen has got Borat 2 coming out very soon. I haven't seen the first one, but I do recognise his very fetching green mankini that he wore to advertise the first film. So this time he's actually used a face mask covering his private parts. And it looks, yeah, it looks (laughs) looks funny and very apt for current climate. I did see the first one. It is, well, it is funny, but it's, it's super... It's a quite yeah. disturbing type of uh, comedy. Um, it's not on your comedy list then? It's not on my comedy list, actually. <laughs> You're going to add it, aren't you? <laughs> I could do. Actually, yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. Um, he's great. He is good. I do like the, I do like the way he challenges um, the status quo, as a, I suppose. He doesn't tend to be interviewed a lot, but no. yeah, he always speaks very eloquently he, what he's trying to ultimately do with his comedy. But he's a great actor as well. I mean, he's been Les Mis as well, and he was, yeah. he was just funny and could sing as well. So yeah, all good. I haven't seen the trailer for this Borat 2. I think the trailer, is the trailer out? I saw a poster, basically, that was sent to me. It was coming from a nurse, and it was very apt for her to send that. <laughs> I reckon that picture's been sent on WhatsApp a gazillion times today because yeah. it's turned up in one of my WhatsApp chats. Right, uh, okay, WhatsApp there you go. Chats as well. Great. Um, I'll tell you something bizarre that I watched mm-hmm. this week, which was on Netflix called My Octopus Teacher. And it's a Netflix documentary about a guy called Craig Foster who lives in South Africa. You never really kind of find out what he does for a living, but clearly he must have earned a fair amount of money, suffered burnout. And then on the Mm. coast of Cape Town, he basically started diving in the kelp forests of a local bay of his and And, mm. became completely obsessed with this octopus. And he, I know, right yeah that, that's my that, i mean like yeah what? no totally okay and he dives back to the same spot where this octopus lives for an entire year every single day and in doing so not only does he learn loads about octopus or octopi that scientists don't even know mm. And this sounds bizarre, but it's true. He actually strikes up a relationship like you would with a pet with this wild octopus. Does it know who he is when he sort of rocks Well, he doesn't say, hey, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> he basically observes this octopus for days. And then after a while, the octopus becomes curious and comes out. And then eventually it puts his tentacles mm. on him. I mean, there's a scene towards the end where he's like holding this octopus. But it's worth watching just because it is so weird. I mean, I didn't know this, that an octopus only has a lifespan of one year. Did you know that? So how does he keep going back then? He follows the same octopus, but at one particular point during the year in which he's going back, Uh... the octopus does die. So you get this quite weird, sad moment when his friend dies. I mean, it's very strange, but... The way the documentary has been put together is is amazing. Mm. Anyway, That's very unusual. And I watched Enola Holmes. So we talked about that last week. It was okay. It wasn't fantastic. It was it was okay. It did make me laugh on occasions because there's just a few Miranda. I don't know what TV series whether you've watched that or not. 
there was a few Miranda moments where she starts talking to the camera or does a little funny look to the camera, which I found very odd. And sometimes you kind of think, is she looking at us or is she looking at her co-stars? So it was a bit random, but it had uh, Helena Bonham Carter in it as well, who we didn't mention last week. But worth a watch. And I think something for maybe the young teens as well. Good stuff. Good stuff. What are we going to start with this week then? Castaway. Go for it. And you know what? I did say last week that I'd never seen this film before. As I started watching it, I realised, oh, I have seen this film before. Oh, uh, you have? <laughs> I have. But there, but there are many parts of it that I don't remember. So I'm not sure it was one of those films that I kind of watched half paying attention or not. So it was um, still, it was still very revealing. Okay. So Castaway, released in 2000, directed by Robert Zemeckis, and producer was Tom Hanks. It's actually Tom Hanks's idea. He read an article that FedEx crossed the Pacific three times a day, and he wondered what would happen if one came down. Strange thoughts. He also wanted to kind of create a film that was more like a Robinson Crusoe, Gillian's Islands kind of film. They were done about 30 years ago, so he wanted to have something that was a bit more modern. So he put it forward and he, uh, he was producer and actor in this film. So Tom Hanks plays Chuck Noland, a Memphis-based FedEx operations executive. And you see him firstly in the film in, in Russia at the start, telling his colleagues about the importance of time. And he was obsessed with time and training them how to meet deadlines. He comes back and celebrates Christmas dinner with his girlfriend, Kelly, played by Helen Hunt. And later that day, he proposes to her just before he jumps onto a business trip via a FedEx plane. Partway into the flight, there's a storm over the Pacific Ocean. The plane gets hit by lightning. The co-pilot throws Chuck a deflated life raft. And then Chuck finds his stopwatch that his fiancée had just given to him on the plane floor. So he unbuckles himself, he picks it up to grab it and then loops his arm around one of the nettings, stabilise himself. Um, this netting was sort of holding all those packages together. And then boom, the plane hits the sea. The plane splits, fortunately for, for him. He manages to float to the surface and he stays pretty much on this raft through most of the storm and riding towards this island. The next morning he wakes up, he's still in this raft and uh, he then starts exploring, I guess, the island, calling out to see if there's anyone else on the island. And the rest of the film really is about survival and how he spends his time, endless time now, and how he can get back to his Kelly back in Memphis. So I'm a huge Tom Hanks fan and he comes across this really lovely guy in when he's interviewed on like Graham Norton, etc. And I think most people will probably react in the same way if they had managed to survive and crashed on this deserted island. And yeah, you did mention that you hadn't really couldn't remember pieces of it. So I'd love to get your thoughts on this film. Yeah, it opens in typical Tom Hanks fashion, him jabbering away in some post depot organizing this shipment of FedEx parcels and preaching about the importance of time and you can tell he's this guy who's totally on it everyone seems to respect him as, as this leader and it's just that familiar place oh okay we're, we're with Tom Hanks this is going to be a safe movie this is going to be good the crash scene the first thing that struck me about that was that I realise you really do need to suspend your disbelief with this film. 
because I suppose I made the mistake of thinking, well, there's no way he would have survived that crash. I mean, there's just no way. As soon as that plane hits the water, everybody's a goner. And, and, you know, the fact that he came out of it pretty much without a scratch on his head. It was all really, really well done. It was all great to watch. But I suppose I just made that mistake of starting to question it. And then I realized, oh, no, hang on, this is, this is a mainstream film. It's an adventure film let's not get tied up in the detail because it's not like that. And so then I just went with it. And then from that moment on, I really enjoyed it. What I found interesting is I I watched this with two other people. And as soon as he was on that beach, we were all like, right, what would you do first? What would you do first? And we were all saying, well, surely the first thing you do is get up high to check whether you think you are actually on a deserted island. If there are people there, then that's the first thing you would do. And he didn't do that like straight away, which I found really frustrating. He was immediately in survival mode. He was immediately Mm -hmm. figuring out food and how to open a coconut and writing help on the sand. But then someone else said, well, no, actually, the first thing I would do is sort out my food and shelter. So we were having this kind of discussion. And then 10, 15 minutes later, he's he's working out how he can make makeshift shoes and he is climbing up to the highest point. So I was glad to get that out of the way because that that was bugging me a bit. But clearly that was (laughs) all part of his plan. Aside from all of the survival techniques that you see and the impact of seeing Tom Hanks completely stripped of all possessions and seeing how he fares and Although that was really intriguing, I actually thought the cleverest part of this was Wilson, was the fact that he was able to open these various FedEx parcels that were washing up on the beach. And one of them was this volleyball. And by this point, he's... I mean, crikey, I think he had a, he has to take a tooth out during this film, which is one of the most excruciating scenes you've ever yeah. seen. It's almost, he's almost kind of at death's door when he does it and he just passes out. But, you know, he injures himself a lot. And so, you know, he bleeds quite a lot or cuts himself. And with the blood, he makes this face on this volleyball. And the volleyball is um, made by the brand Wilson. And so he, he basically uses this volleyball, sticks him on a post and basically carries him around and he becomes his friend. You know, we talked about Danny's imaginary friend in The Shining, Tony. Well, this is uh, Tom Hanks' imaginary friend in Castaway, Wilson. And that's, I thought that was such a clever conceit. It humanized the whole thing, the fact that he was conversing yeah. with someone. It almost allowed him to show more of his emotions than he normally would if he was on his own. Because if you're on your own, I suppose all you're going to do is get on with things and maybe occasionally, as he does, just shout in complete frustration to the gods. But the yeah. fact he's there talking to someone. And interestingly, I read that they did have lines of dialogue for Wilson in the script that were yeah. used to enable him, I suppose, to be able to have that conversation. So I found that really affecting. I thought that was the key to the film. I mean, you know, the scene where he makes fire is delightful, like it always tends to be when you're watching these survival programs, when people actually work out how to make fire. I mean, one of the main tools he uses for cutting things that he carries around them all the time is an ice skate. It's the blade of an ice skate that washes up in one of these FedEx packages. 
because the other thing we should say it's Christmas time, so all of the, many of the things that he opens are Christmas presents. Yeah, he was kind of lucky with that factor actually that it was a FedEx plane that went down and and it was Christmas and all these presents were around and so he had lots of tools that he could use really. If you got stranded on a des- deserted island, it would probably you pick up maybe a bit of netting or an old can of something or some plastic of some sort, wouldn't you really? I agree. But I suppose in the same way that his idea was what would happen if a FedEx plane went down, maybe the reason he yeah. thought it would be interesting is it all and some yeah, would true. have all these possessions. Uh, I'm yeah. not sure how many people would survive without anything. Yeah. So he uses this single ice skate, the blade of it, attaches it to the kind of a club type thing. And he uses that all the time. I think he uses the butt of it to knock out his tooth when he's lying in yeah. his cave. Yeah. Ugh, it's horrible. There were some bits of it where you could tell there were plenty of nighttime scenes that seemed quite clear to me. They weren't nighttime, they were daytime and it was all done in post. I thought some of those were quite obvious, but relatively minor. You're probably led to believe that what you're watching is about maybe two, three weeks of him on the island before we then cut to a graphic which says four years later... Four years later, I was like, oh my God, four years later. And and so then when you suddenly see him as thin as a rake, he does pretty much look like a caveman, shaggy beard. That's the bit of the film that really kicks in. He's, He's eating raw fish. You know, we're joining him four years on where he's figured out a way to survive and he actually looks... I mean, I know he's thin, he would be, but he's alive. He looks relatively healthy and he looks like he's obviously managed to use all of these tools and techniques to be alive. And then on on that, they stopped production for a year so that he could lose 50 pounds and grow his hair. And during this time, Robert Zemeckis actually did another film, <laughs> What Lies Beneath. But I mean, this losing weight, putting on weight, losing weight, putting on weight for all these films that he does... I'm sure has contributed to his diabetes problem he has today as well. And I'm sure there's other actors and actresses that have the similar problem. But he looked much thinner, didn't he? He did. And when we eventually get to that point where he finds a huge sheet of plastic that washes up that he's able to use for a raft, you'd assume within four years he's tried many, many times to pass the reef, Mm -hmm. these huge crashing waves. He hasn't managed to get past to get out to open sea. This huge piece of plastic washes up, allows him to use that as a sail. He builds the raft and he manages to get over the reef. And throughout all of this, Wilson's always there by his side. And there is, of course, probably, you know, one of the most, if not the most memorable scene in the entire film where he loses Wilson. Wilson drifts off the raft. He's almost at death's door once he's out to open sea. And the volleyball drifts off and you have this like his shouting, Wilson, Wilson. And of course... I think I remember hearing in a Tom Hanks interview recently that that's probably one of the most common things people shout at him when they when they see him in the in the street. It's like, oh, Wilson! <laughs> so that was like surprisingly moving. It was almost like the payoff of all of those conversations with this volleyball that gave the film that emotional heart. It's almost like that all built up to that moment. It's like, oh my yeah. God, it's actually quite touching. For me, it was what happened when he did manage to get home. That the whole narrative of it's been four years or probably four and a half years, what's happened to his wife? The whole story of how her life has moved on and the inevitable meeting of the two that you know is going to happen, because that's quite a delicate thing to get right, I think, in the film. Because 
it's not necessarily going to be the case that if someone disappears four years down the line, you look them up, it's highly likely they've moved on with their life, potentially with another partner, with another family. And it does really make you think, wow, yeah, crikey, what what would you do? You know, you're presumed dead. And four years yeah. later, you pop up and you're your husband and wife has, has, has moved on it, you know, and, and moved on to the point where they've got a child. And it does make you think you would probably have to just let them carry on. Yeah, you'd have to probably let them mm. carry on. But it'll be heartbreaking at the oh, same time, totally which it was. It was for him. Yeah. It really was. And I thought that was actually a really interesting dilemma that they, mm. I thought they handled really quite well. So, yeah, there were a few things in it that, as I say, I just had to suspend my disbelief. And I love Tom Hanks. I mean, it is an amazing performance. When he comes back and he's still so, so thin, it reminded me of how he looked in uh, Philadelphia. It was a Again, he had, to, he had to shrink for that. Yeah, yeah. This was around the time, I mean, Forrest Gump and Philadelphia, for which he won the two Oscars back to back, was a, quite a few years earlier than Castaway, but it was still around his real purple patch. I mean, obviously, he's still mm. top billing of films today. He's A-lister. A-lister. He's absolutely still an A-lister, and you watch any Tom Hanks films that get released, you're going you're gonna to watch even now. Yeah, yeah. He was nominated for an Oscar for this role, though, as well. But he lost out to Russell. Crow in Gladiator, but he did win a Golden Globe for this picture. But I've got a fact for you the cargo ship. I've got a link to this personally. My dad's friend is the captain of the cargo ship that went past. I think his name is John Miller. I thought he said when I spoke to him about this that it wasn't planned, they just happened to be passing and they thought it would be great to add it to the film. I think that's really cool because that particular scene is really well done. And I, and I yeah. quite like the fact that all you need to see is this enormous pass. You don't even need to see much detail of the ship. That's all you need, isn't it? You don't need to see anything else. You don't, you don't, mm. you know, it's not like you then see the whole rescue sequence. You don't need to see all that. But because you've just been so used to seeing him on his own for so much of the film, and it's quite a tight shot on him on the raft when suddenly in the background is this massive, like, <laughs> and I think it sounds its horn. It's like, whoa. And then it, and then it obviously pans out. I think it's a really impactful scene. Yeah. Whether it was supposed to be in the film or not, I do not know. Maybe he didn't realise that he he was supposed to do that job until what? that moment. That's amazing. That's yeah, amazing. I'm sure. I'm sure he said that to me. Yeah, that's so, so cool. He must be quite far out though into sea to be picked up because the cargo ship's pretty heavy. Well, that's why I think there's quite a few elements of this where you just have to. Yeah, mm. I think if you think too much, I mean. Even after the um, plane crash at the beginning, when he gets out, he is absolutely pummeled by huge waves, mm. even when he's in the life raft. And again, I'm watching it thinking, I mean, he survived the yeah. plane crashes. There's no way he could survive that. Um, mm. But again, I, I think you just have to let it go because it is so dramatically brought to screen. It's interesting, actually, because he was in another plane crash, wasn't it? <laughs> that he's been in a film with Sully That's right. as well. Yeah. He was the pilot for that, yeah. Yeah, we were talking about that afterwards. I mean, Tom Hanks has done so many amazing films. Yeah. I mean, for me, I wouldn't rank this as one of his very best, but as a film to watch, to be honest, as a film to watch with the family, I think, as a family Robinson Crusoe-type modern-day interpretation, I mean, obviously the beginning could, could be seen to be quite uh, disturbing, but, you know, maybe for teenagers to watch with the family, I thought it was great. I did. Mm. So I would still give it 
a very solid 8 out of 10. Yeah, that's good. I mean, this is a Robert Zemeckis film as well. I mean, he's done some great films. He's done Back to the Future, Polar Express with Tom Hanks, Forrest Gump with Tom Hanks, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Contact, Beowulf. He's done many great films. This is slightly different for him, though, and he's actually he's been producing a, a Manifest a TV series, which is about a plane incident as well. So it's obviously something's resonated with Robert Zemeckis and knows that, you know, draws the, the audiences in. But I really like it. I've been toying what to give it, actually. It's either an eight and a half or nine, because I really think it was a very different film. And seeing all these survival techniques, you can kind of think if you did get stranded somewhere, you would think, what did Tom Hanks do? <laughs> um, I'm going to give it, you're right, it's not one of his ultimate best films. I'm going to give it eight and a half out of ten. Fair play, yeah. Should we go on to Yeah, Yeah? Ding dong. Ding My dong. love for you, growing wide and long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ding dong. Yeah, yeah, yeah ding dong. I love the character who just says, play ya ya ding dong. It's all he wants to hear. Even once once they come back from the Eurovision Song Contest, he's like, I don't care about your song. Play me ya ya ding dong. That song, though, is apparently based on a Dutch folk song. So there is a song that's similar to that, I think. But the lyrics of that song has quite a lot of racy meaning, which which you kind of touched on that. Just the, I did, <laughs> just the beginning. I'm, I mean, I'm guessing at the, some of those lyrics I chucked in there, I think I was hearing them correct. But uh, I should probably backtrack in case people are wondering, what the hell are they what? talking Yeah, exactly. Yeah, shall we? Yeah. So this was off my guilty pleasures list. Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga. And this is from this year, isn't it? This was released on Netflix, I think, towards the beginning of lockdown or certainly around that period. To be precise, 24th of June, I've written it down. There you go, 24th of June. So it was one of those relatively big releases. Well, I mean, it's a Mm. feral film. So directed by David Dobkin, written by Andrew Steele and Will Ferrell. And starring Will Ferrell, Rachel McAdams, Pierce Brosnan, Dan Stevens, and Demi Lovato. So this story follows the ambitions of lifelong friends Lars, Will Ferrell, and Sigrid, Rachel McAdams, to win the Eurovision Song Contest, much to the dismay of Lars's widowed father, Eric played by Pierce Brosnan, the most handsome man in their small town <laughs> of Husavik in Iceland, mm-hmm. which is actually apparently uh, a real place. Eurovision has always been in their blood. So at the very beginning of the film, we watched them all as children gathering around the TV to watch ABBA winning the contest in 1974. And then we flash forward to Lars and Sigrid, who are dancing along in front of the TV, to them performing or making, let's just say, homemade music in their room opposite each other on a couple of synthesizers and also performing as a duo in the local bar. So we pick them up with music in their blood. The dream, obviously, is there. And they're very charming, but obviously uh, they're pretty hopeless as well. I would say they are spectacularly mediocre And whenever they play in the local bar, the audience only appreciate one of their songs, which is the wonderfully titled Ya Ya Ding Dong, um, a rendition of which we've already given. But even though that's all they seem to ever want to hear, and it really frustrates Lars because he's got bigger ambitions, 
It doesn't dampen their dreams. And Singrit, who believes in the national tradition of elves, visits their miniature home on a local hillside to seek their kind of spiritual help and guidance to help them achieve their dream. And then soon after, they are invited to compete for the national singing contest, basically the last act they needed to quickly find to make up the numbers. So they go along to this national singing contest with the hope that they might get to Eurovision their performance is a complete disaster and singer Katiana, played by Demi Lovato, is picked to represent Iceland. But of course, there's a twist. During this national singing contest, Lars is outside in tears after their terrible performance. A party boat hosting all of the contestants in the background <laughs> inexplicably <laughs> explodes. <laughs> And leaving sole survivors, Lars and Sigrid, as the only representatives left. <laughs> so they go to Eurovision, which is hosted in Edinburgh in Scotland. Sigrid, all this time, as they've even as they've grown up, has these long-standing feelings for Lars. And there's this, there's this running joke, which I love throughout the entire thing, where many people refer to them as brother and sister. They kind of always correct people, but they correct them in this kind of fashion where they kind of say, oh, she's probably not my sister. Oh, he's probably not my brother. I don't think we're brother and sister. I just, just, think, is, I just think it's really nice. But on that, I mean, I've mentioned, I think last time when we discussed, when we actually watched it back in July or June, wherever it was, that Eric is called Eric Song, Piers Brosnan. And yeah. Will Farrell's character is Lars Eric Song. And then Sigrid's character, her surname is um, Eric Daughter. So it's just like yeah, I guess they're just play. I guess they're playing out the same joke, even in the actual names of yeah. the characters. And at the very end of the film, I mean, I'm jumping ahead now, but the very end of the film, you see Eric with Helka Singrit's yes. mum. Yeah, like you assume, yeah. you know, they've kind of got together. So yeah, I mean, I think they probably are brother and sister, and they, a and big they, question mark. And they yeah. don't. They probably really don't want to even think that that's the case. Anyway. Yes, yeah, Singret basically loves Lars. They're really kind of friends and they're, and they're like this amazing singer duo, but she always wants it to go that much further. But you get the impression he, he wants to focus on the music. The feelings are mutual, but he's putting business first. But whilst they are, you know, as they arrive at Eurovision, Sigrid catches the eye of Russian favourite Alexander Lemtov, played by Dan Stevens, who is just genius. He hams it up as this uh, Russian Lothario, complete with spray tan, an amazing accent. Um, and it's not long before the silky smooth charms of Lemtov threaten to sabotage the relationship between Lars and Sigrid and indeed their entire hopes of winning the Eurovision Song Contest. So I'm just going to leave it at that. It's one of those films that the narrative for the plot is really not that important. You can probably guess <laughs> what does happen, but it's the way in which it happens, which is the most amusing. So, yeah, I mean, very, very briefly, the reason I liked it, I just thought it had a real charm to it. You know, some, some of Will Ferrell's comedy is quite over the top. You think of Anchorman and Step Brothers and, you know, all these types of film. I wouldn't necessarily gross out, but I mean, it's a certain level of humour. Whereas for me, this has a complete childlike quality to it. And I think it's so clear. I mean, I'm not a massive Eurovision fan, but it's so clear this is made by the fans for the fans. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just delightful. 
it is proper marmite. You're either going to go with it and just try and have a laugh with it, or you're just going to probably turn off after about half an hour. Anyway, what did you think, Sarah? Because we <laughs> did touch, we did review this very, very briefly quite a while ago now when it, when it came out. So now you've got the chance to tell yeah. us exactly what you think of it. So I think, yeah, Will Farrell is a fan apparently because he went to, he's seen quite a few of the Eurovision Song Contest live. I think his wife is Swedish, could be wrong, but I think she's from the Nordics area and she's really into it and so is he. So I think it's just a passion film for him. And I think, yeah, I think he's toned down his, he's silly in it. But you kind of feel sorry for him at the same time. I wouldn't say it was it, it was as daft as Anchorman. But pop quiz for you then, Rob. How many? Uh, oh, who's God. one? Go on, it has to be done. It's Eurovision. Yeah, but I like. Who, I just want to say the oh, disclaimer. Pop quiz, pop I'm quiz not first. a massive Eurovision fan. Okay, okay go on, go pop on. Pop quiz, then. pop quiz. How, who's won? Which country has won the most Eurovision song contests? Oh man. Okay, I won't think about it too long. I'll say Sweden. No, Ireland seven times. Really? UK, how many How many times has UK won? I didn't think they had, but did they win with Bucks Fizz? I don't know, I'll say one. Yeah, five times. Five? Yeah, I think when we're in the olden days, before it got really, really big. Before everyone were, hated yeah. us. <laughs> yeah, so they, they've won quite a few, five. And okay. Iceland, how many have they won? None. You're correct, correct. So it seems very apt to pick Iceland for this and not Sweden, where his wife is from, because I think Sweden has won quite a few times as well. But, yeah, it's a Will Ferrell film. You know what you're going to get. You're going to get some silliness, but as I said, it's toned down a little bit. And then you've also got Rachel McAdams, who's got twinkly eyes and always a nice, sweet smile, a bit like Julia Roberts. She's in that bracket, I think. And she's great at doing romance, like the notebook about time and time traveler's wife, etc. So this is very perfect for her. I was a little bit disappointed it wasn't her singing. I thought, really thought most of the way through the first time I watched it that she was singing. I was really impressed. The, most of the songs were sung by Molly Standen. But Will Farrell, he's got a great voice. He, he sang all the songs, so credit to him. Certainly very catchy, very colourful. And I love the fact that there was former Eurovision Song Contest winners in this as well, which made it even more entertaining. I didn't know all of them. I'm not a big Eurovision fan myself. Sorry, everyone. But I did recognise one or two characters, especially the bearded lady. I think she's from Israel. So I recognised her from many years ago, winning the Eurovision Song Contest. And it's got a, a certain type of following, I think. It's a certain age groups, maybe. And I'm sure this film has been really successful as well. I, I don't know what the ratings is for this film, actually. How they do the takings for this film. I, I really haven't a clue when it's on Netflix, for example, because you don't get box office numbers then do you really so i don't know how they work it out so ya ya ding dong was very catchy song it was played quite a few times in the film and it'll stick in your mind for for a long long time the song that they were going to sing or did sing for the eurovision song contest entry was double trouble but then it was (laughs) it was made me really laugh out loud because what happened was they started off very well it's just the props they had just go horribly wrong. So the wings, poor Lars became unharnessed from it, was hanging off it and was a laughing stock in, in Iceland. And everybody was like, was a bit scared that he was going to fall. And then the semi-finals, he was in this hamster wheel, which then poor Sigrid's scarf gets caught in it. She gets pretty much pulled back, pretty much could have killed her. And then the hamster wheel goes off 
down into the audience. It was that was funny, but it was like unfortunate at the same time. What I did find a bit odd is the elves that she was talking to, but very apt at the same time because they were helping them make their way to these certain rounds of Eurovision. Sigrid would go and feed them and talk to them and say what problems she had and what her dreams were. And the next minute, I don't think you necessarily saw the elves, but you you know you knew it was some sort of spirit or or these elves that were involved somehow. And I don't know whether you know that's an, an Icelandic thing talking to elves. I I don't know whether that's a tradition or not, or whether they just brought that in just to be a bit bit dark. Well, it's supposed to be. It's a national tradition. Is it? The elves sing. So oh, obviously, I've, they... I've upset everybody. Then <laughs> take that I mean, bit out. <laughs> I imagine all they've done is just dialed that up completely because although yeah. it's a national tradition, I can't believe there are many people out there who really do communicate with, with elves in little houses mm. in hillsides. But to me, it just added to that whole childlike element, mm. really. Yeah, it was very far-fetched, um, but the soundtrack was quite catchy. Apparently in the UK, it reached number one soundtrack album. In Iceland, it reached number two, so it's more popular here. And in the US, obviously very popular in the US, number five. So did pretty well. What else can I say about it, Rob? <laughs> okay, so there's not that much to say about it other than it's just such a visual treat. It's fun. It's fun. It's a visual the- treat. And I, I actually, I was a bit apprehensive the first time I watched it. But actually, I really got engaged and I quite rather liked it, actually. Mm. I mean, the outfits that Will Ferrell wears, there's a, there's a scene where clearly they're dreaming or Imagine they're imagining it. what yeah. they would look like. And it's this music video of them on lava with like opposite yeah. each other on tooth synths. And he's in this Viking outfit. So right, he's Volcano from, Man, isn't he? He's that's Volcano it, Man. Volcano Man, and that's just teased the whole thing up. You know, you know, you're going to get just outrageous outfits, and of course, when they get to Eurovision, part of the film is seeing so many artists performing, almost like a little montage. So you get just—it's like the kind of people you see on Eurovision, but you know, it's ramped up to the extreme. And so I think the outfits are great. Like you say, I think the music is actually you mentioned there's this big sing-along or song-along number. They have this massive event for all of the contestants, this glitzy event, and they all end up yeah. doing this music mashup of various well-known dance tunes and also Eurovision numbers. And this is where you see so many of the contestants come back. That's just a guilty pleasure. In it. I mean, I didn't get as much out of that as someone would who's a Eurovision fan, because I'm a bit like you. I recognise yeah. the odd person. But for me, it's just the sheer audacity of of it all. And I actually found the last song, Husavik, which is the song that Singrit has penned herself that is a stripped down yeah. ballad it's not daft it's not silly it's designed to give it that kind of emotional punch and it, I think it's amazing and and as you say it's not Rachel McAdams but the the lady Molly who does Stanton. yeah yeah Molly Stanton. Stanton. Yeah, I mean, she does a pretty good job. It's a quite a spine-tingling type ballad that you might find in a Disney film or something. It has that yeah. kind of quality to it. I thought Rachel McAdams' performance reminded me of Bjork, and I think she might have channeled a bit of Bjork because she's very kooky, wide-eyed, a bit kind of, hey, I'm crazy. You know, they're both a bit like that, but maybe her more so. I would have loved to have seen Bjork in it. Yeah. Why wasn't Bjork and Sega Ross? They should have been in it. I know the Sega Ross songs were played. I bet they were asked. Mm. They weren't in Eurovision, but still. No. Um, still, you think of Iceland, you do think yeah. of... Yeah, wave the flag, Bjork. yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's just funny. But it's funny with a heart. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to give it... I did quite like it. I'm going to give it a (laughs) seven 
Seven That's not bad. I quite like it. It's very, it's different, isn't it? And it's quite a. I, I love Will Ferrell and and uh, Rachel McAdams' connection in the film. It's, it's quite sweet, really. Yeah, and we haven't really talked. I haven't talked too much. Well, I mentioned Dan Stevens. Dan Stevens from Downton Abbey. Mm. He, he is hilarious as the he kind is, of yeah. closet homosexual who is doing all he can to try and seduce Sigrid. D- you know, in complete denial of who he is. It's just. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What are you going to give it? I'm going to give it eight and a half. <laughs> It's very a t- good scores. It's good different. scores. Yeah, yeah, yeah. good scores. Yeah. I mean, yeah, good yeah. scores. Yeah, so listeners, tell us what you would give it. What rating would you give it out of 10 on our Facebook site? There'll be, do you know what? If you go to IMDb and you look at the, the score that it's... Six and a half, isn't it? It's six, six and, and a half, half, yeah. Mind you, to be bad. fair, even on IMDb, that's not actually a terrible score. I don't know what's on Rotten Tomatoes. Have a look. I'm curious now. The audience score on Rotten Tomatoes is 78%, so I think that's oh, fair enough. That's not bad. Yeah. That's pretty good. Right. right. Picks for not. this week. Do you want to go first? Okay. Drum roll. Romance. Ooh, it's romance. Okay. Looking for a little romance. Given <laughs> half the chance. <laughs> Christopher there. Right. I have 20. Okay. Seeing as it's year 2020, I'm going to go with 20. It is Juno. With Ellen Page, Michael Cera, Jennifer Garner, Jason Bateman, Alison Jenny, and J.K. Simmons, and it was done in two thousand and seven. Good comedy romance. Good choice. I remember good. this. One. Quite quirky. So, faced with an unplanned pregnancy, an offbeat young woman makes an unusual decision regarding her unborn child. And where can we watch? This one. It is to rent or buy from Amazon Prime, Sky Store, Rakuten TV, etc. etc. I would suggest though, if you've got Sky or Amazon Prime or Netflix, look on there as well after you listen to this podcast. Good stuff, right. Your turn to dish out the genre. Crime. Crime. Please. Okay, I have got eighteen. I'm gonna go for number eleven, please. Number 11 is Leon. Okay. I'm not sure whether I've watched that all the way through. It's in French, isn't it? Or is it in French with subtitles? I can't remember whether it's subtitled or not. I don't, I don't know if it is. Um, this is from 1994, directed by and written by Luc Besson, starring Jean Reno, Gary Oldman, and, of course, Natalie Portman, really where she rose to fame. Yeah. Matilda, a 12-year-old girl is reluctantly taken in by Leon, professional assassin, after her family is murdered. An unusual relationship forms as she becomes his protege and learns the assassin's trade. So you can rent or buy from um, most online channels, Amazon Prime, Rakuten, Apple TV, Sky Store, etc. Good stuff. And that's um, that was 19... This came out in 1994. Yeah. It, yeah, it was. I knew it was a big hit, but I, for some reason, I don't know why I've not... I don't remember it if I've watched it all the way through. So, so yeah. You'll like, you'll like it because it's about female, it's, it's like a female <laughs> assassin. <laughs> all right then, cool. Uh, like, who was the last well. female assassin that I watched? I can't remember. Charlie's Theron in, the, is it The Guard? Oh, I watched the Charlie's not- Theron and I also watched, oh, who's the lady in Molly's game? Jessica Chastain. Jessica Chastain, that's the one. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, just right. Anyway, all good, good. A bit of um, light and dark in in our films this week. 
Juno, I haven't seen Juno for ages. Looking forward to that. And Leon as well, yeah. Two more cracking films. All right. Well. Have a a great week, Rob. Thank you very much. I don't know what's on the agenda this week for watching movies, apart from those two, or watching TV. I'm still in search. I am still watching The Boys, but I am in Mm. search of a new Netflix-type TV series to binge. I know people are saying that Ratchet is quite good and very psychologically scary as well. Oh, okay. It's, I think, on the back of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Ooh, that does yeah. sound interesting. So Only it's one on of Netflix. My, one of my favourite films of all time, so I'll definitely look at that. Okay, yep. Good stuff, all right. Well, we'll catch up next week. See you then. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.